Hello and welcome to episode three of Not Another Rugby Podcast, brought to you by ruck.co.uk and Altius Images. I'm your host, Todd Dudley, and later on, I'll be joined, as always, by the editor-in-chief of ruck.co.uk and my co-host, Steve Smith. But until then, I'm delighted to be joined by the naked professor, Ben Bidwell. Ben is a mindset and purpose coach, writer and public speaker who is stripping back the conversation to change the stigma about mental health. On his own podcast, The Naked Professors, he is currently running a roundtable with James Haskell, Paul Doran-Jones and Tom May to discuss and dissect mental health in rugby and what the sport can do to improve. The first episode of that series is out now and is linked below. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We're really, really pleased to have you here. Why don't you start by just introducing yourself and giving us a bit of background about what it is you do? Thank you for having me, first and foremost. It's a, it's a rare treat for me to get to talk rugby. Um, usually I'm, <laughs> I'm caught up in, in mental health and masculinity and all this kind of quite serious, kind of heavy conversation that I love. You know, it matters to me, but it's nice to um, to kind of give it a different slant, if you like. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a coach. Um, I call myself a mindset and purpose coach. So I help people try and find more fulfillment in their life and, and live in a way that kind of really stimulates them um the reason for that is because i've been on my own journey of, of 39 now but through my 20s kind of ticking all the boxes and feeling you know like society was saying this is great you're doing brilliantly then but inside i was always kind of thinking that there's there's got to be more you know this doesn't feel like i'm really i'm truly alive here and that's despite you know having a great life you know um everything was was in theory great but yeah. um I just hadn't really connected with 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 myself at a deeper level, and um, you know it's 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 something that I found as a, as a I'm never never a professional rugby player, but as an amateur rugby player who loved the game, that um, I really enjoyed the banter and I love the sort of you know being in the changing room and and I really miss the the, the sort of tours and the, the kind of camaraderie and all that. But yeah. sometimes I did feel frustrated that I couldn't. Um, kind of go a little deeper and just have sort of some some in amongst the banter some some more real conversation and actually you know that's kind of become what I'm all about actually asking how people are yeah and kind of knowing how how they are and and then having some banter with it but just yeah I've I really I, I think through a lot of my life I missed that healthy band that healthy mix of 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 depth and, and mm-hmm. truth and compassion alongside having a bit of a laugh and a joke with your mates yeah okay sure so you so you've uh so you you were a rugby player then. So tell us a little bit about your 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 playing career. What what what, what position did you play? Where what clubs did you play? And all that all that stuff. Do you know what? It, it won't take too long because I was I was um I was never I was never built for rugby. I was always really tall, really skinny. I got it from my dad. Um, so I was six six, but right. in my teenage years I, I played fly half, um, and I was kind of you know I was a good schoolboy rugby player. I captained my my school team and. Um, but the older I got, the more, the more it, it relied on, you know, being big. And yeah. Went to university and played second team rugby there at Birmingham mm-hmm. and, and and loved it, but never sort of, never really felt like a real rugby player because I never because of my natural physique, and I never really took it seriously, even though it was probably the sport that I was most passionate about. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, so. Um, and then when I left university, I came to London and, and broke my leg and didn't run for three years. Oh. I'd had so many injuries from playing rugby that it kind of at that point at 23, I was like, well, actually 26 at the point. I was like, well, you know, I don't think this is probably the right the right thing for me to keep pursuing. I'm never going to be serious about it. Yeah, okay. I love, but the amount of injuries I've had, I, th- I think 
enough's enough now. So, yeah, yeah um, I think I was one of the tallest fly halves. To, to, <laughs> to yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, but times are changing now and it doesn't matter, does it? You can be anything in any way. Yeah, you could be any, any, they're all just turning into the same shape, to be honest. They're, they all look pretty similar now. But yeah, yeah. And then, and then we, we yeah. mentioned in our intro that you're releasing this um, series of podcasts at the moment with James Haskell, Paul Doran Jones and Tom May. How did you sort of cross paths with those guys? Yeah, um, I was two years above Ollie Phillips at school. Um, oh, okay. Ollie was playing rugby in, in Stade Francais with uh, in Paris with with, with Hask and um, Torrance C. Ollie. And, you look um, you look you look younger than Ollie Phillips, by the way. If that makes you feel any better, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a common theme. It's so we we live together, and uh, people say, "How do you know each other?" It's like we were school we were at school together, yeah. and they like, look quite surprised. And then like, I'm two years older than him. Um, yeah, it's a shock. Um, and um, yeah, so but I, I went and saw Ollie out in Paris, and he lived with Haskin, and then we kind of just had a, a real fun time there, and we had some mutual friends, and um, and then I met. Dozer through Hask yeah. in, back in London when, when Hask came back and um, kind of, you know how a lot, I don't know where you live actually, but London is kind of quite a kind of, it can be quite a small place actually at mm. times and the circles all mix and you just sort of get to know each other. And I met Tom May through um, Dozer's wedding with a good friend of mine, Zoe Hardman. So it all kind of everyone just, yeah, just okay. aligned and um, yeah. yeah, it's just a, a strange old world really. And um, I think that the interesting thing for me is that I met, met Hask in my mid twenties when mm. he was early twenties at, at Paris and I guess I was quite a different version of myself then yeah okay um, yeah uh, in that I was about you know it was all about parties and it was all yeah. about having a laugh and everything else and yeah. all that um and now I guess he, he you know he sees a different different side of me and in this podcast that we did together you know it was about kind of going deep with him and and really sort of asking how we were it wasn't just taking the piss which is kind of unusual yeah but I guess the transition of the of the friendship that there's been yeah yeah and it's not it's it's nice to nice to see friendships like that grow like that and then also nice for for people like for normal people like me to see see someone like James Haskell being vulnerable and sort of opening up so yeah I mean we'll, we'll mention it a lot because it, it's, it's very good but the first episode of that that podcast series is out now so that that'll be linked below so so do go and check it out and the focus of that episode was really just one question and I, I know it's quite I know it's quite an important question for you, so I'll ask it to you, and we'll see see where we go. Uh, but h- how are you? Um, yeah, thank you. And it is, it's a massive question, um, one that we miss in society, because normally I'll just go, "Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How yeah. are you?" And you would probably say something similar, and on we crack. But yeah, it's. Um, I think in, in these days, it's we're realizing actually a lot of people say they're fine or I'm good, thanks, and and, and the answer is is actually a very different one, or the true answer is. So I'm I'm. Um, yeah, I, I like I, I am good. Having said all that, you know, I don't want to come out the good, cliche, good. but I, I am good, and I will answer it honestly. But I also won't just say I'm not for the sake of it. Um, uh, I feel rested after the weekend. Um, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate in, in kind of my circumstances around lockdown and everything going on, and um, I'm in generally a, a good place. Like I'm, I'm my, my biggest challenge is that I often feel overwhelmed. Like I've got a lot going on in my life, like like so many others. And, yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, I just want to run away and live in a country and like not have any of these stresses yeah. that tend to come up in London. But um, at the same time, I'm grateful for those as well. You know, they give me a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning. And um, so, yeah, I'm um, generally a little bit like Hask did on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I can give a lot of rant about all yeah. sorts of, and then go, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Fine, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, um, good. I'm, how are you? I'm glad you're fine. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think I think similar to you, I think my my circumstances with everything that's gone on as, across the world this year, I've been pretty for, fortunate that you know work work sort of carried on hasn't hasn't affected relationships or anything like that. Um, so no, I've been and and most importantly, no one no one's sort of been directly affected by COVID or anything like that. So so no, I'm very lucky in that sense. A um, couple of things going on with my with family stuff that always sort of niggle me and always on my mind, but. We're, that's fairly long long term stuff so that's that's pretty ongoing for us so i'm i'm pretty used to that kind of thing and you know fairly good now at, at sort of dealing with that and sort of compartmentalizing it and knowing when i'm okay and when i need to when i need to chat to someone but no at the moment i am again like like you and ask i, I am good at the moment which is, which is good um so yeah nice um, so th- so then I, I th- I, one you guys sort of touched on in your in your episode about why that's such a big question and why why that in general people are fairly useless answering it why why do you think it is is it is it a cultural thing in britain or is it a is it like a gender thing that that men in particular are not so good at it or is it a combination what what do you think yeah probably we all of that um and you you add them all together and it just really means that we're pretty useless right as, mm. as Dozer and, and Hask and, and Tom said you know they've lived a, a lifetime or, or a, a period of time where they are just conditioned to say yeah, I'm fine and you know as Hask said even if he said he's not fine the coaches had no no ways of dealing or equipping themselves yeah. to, 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 to respond to him so he would be like yeah I've just filled out this form that said I'm on, I'm on my deathbed and it's not looking <laughs> great and they go we'll get on the training, you got training. Anyway, <laughs> yeah and he's like, well, what's the point in asking me then? Yeah. You know, and um, and I totally hear that. We we don't have the the equipment to know, and we, as men particularly, we feel quite uncomfortable if someone doesn't answer. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. It's almost like, Jesus, I didn't ask actually. Like, I don't want to actually know how you are. Know. Just tell me you're fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we'll get on with the conversation. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's just it's a little bit boring actually. Like, um, I really want to know actually how someone is and. As I said on the podcast, talking to them, like I could spend sometimes a couple of a couple of hours with some friends, and we'll talk about all the things that we've done, and but I'll leave the conversation and not actually know how they are. Mm. And to me, it's kind of testament of the world that we live in. We're always doing, and it's always about achievements and um, ticking off the boxes and showing our CV of, of social stuff. But it's rarely actually saying how are you feeling. Um, and what really matters at the end of the day is is how we feel. Um, and if we you know, there's this terminology about um, toxic positivity mm-hmm. and that we feel like we've got to always be positive. And all that does is mean that when we do have a bad day, like naturally everyone will do, as Hask alluded to, you know, and, and, and Tom and, and Dozza, everyone has bad days. Yeah. You know, it, don't, it doesn't matter who you are. So if and, and if we're in this toxic positivity world where we can't say that, it just makes it uh, inauthentic. Mm-hmm. It means we put on a mask. Um, it stops us being truly ourselves. Uh, we feel uncomfortable because we have to pretend to be something that we're not. And it's all this when the reality is, if we could just change the perception and say, do you know what? Like today's not such a great day. If the other person on the receiving end of that com- of that question could just say, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Is you know, is 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 there anything I could do, or what's going on? Do you want to talk about it, or? Um, you know, I, I hear you. It's not such a great day for me. Should we, should we have a chat about it or whatever? It doesn't need to be a drama or a major problem. It's a bad day, mm. just like we all have. Tomorrow could be a good day. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's life. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think actually that's that's a really important part of it. That actually the person that 
you, that's listening to, to to the person is actually equally as important, if not more important. The reaction you get to the reaction you get to telling someone that you're not doing okay probably then dictates whether you're ever going to tell someone that again. Um, so, it, I think for everyone out there, if you can be that person that actually responds to it properly and is is there for them, I think that's that's massively important. And the, the, the huge part with that, um, again, as Hask said, and I love, you know, Hask has done a lot of work. So mm-hmm. it's really, I love, I love having a conversation with him because he's worked for the psychologist for a long time and he sees that as a really healthy thing, which I think is great in today's world. Because um, it is, it's, it's important to work in your mind. But as he alluded to, as men, you know, we are programmed to, to try and fix things. You know, yeah. if there's a problem, we'll try and sort it out. So gen- I think often if someone says, I'm not feeling so good, we jump into fixing mode, like, right, shit, what can I do? I need to sort this out. Sometimes we don't know the answers on the spot. So we'll be like, I don't know, I don't know, let's abort, like, like get away from the conversation. Yeah. When the reality is all that often someone wants when they say that they're not feeling great is just to be heard. Yeah. They don't need fixing. There's nothing that, there's no like major problem going on in their life. It's just a bad day. Yeah. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Like, um, you know, what's going on? Like, and just hearing them, letting them vocalize it and be heard. And that's fine. But that's, yeah, we, we as men, we don't like to sit in that space. You know, we've, mm-hmm. we've gotten this, no one wants to be the Debbie Downer. It's, we've got this positivity thing. Like if we do have a problem, no one knows how to solve it anyway or, or really fix us. And, you know, we just, but yeah, we get lost in an in a, in a, in a inauthentic conversation from the word go. Yeah. And then, so, so, I mean, I think, you know, with the work that you and a number of others have done, I think over the last few years, I mean, it's it's a huge, huge change. If you, the amount that sort of mental health and the stigma that's associated with it is is discussed now compared to what it was like, I don't know, even just like three years ago, it's definitely moving in the in the right direction. But what can people? Do? I mean, obviously, we've spoken about how you respond to to how people to to what people tell you and that kind of thing. But what advice do you have for people that either aren't feeling great themselves and don't feel comfortable sharing or know someone that probably isn't feeling great and aren't quite sure how to, how to help them. How do, how do we sort of break down this, the stigma that is still there, even though it's got better? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the first thing is, is breaking down the stigma. Like you say, it's, it's knowing that everyone has a bad day and to, to stop this perception that we need to say everything is great all the time. Um, that's the first thing to actually give ourselves the freedom to answer. And, um, it matters to me that I answer honestly when someone asks me because I want to invite them to answer in the same way. So I don't go through the motions of saying I'm fine. Thanks because the likelihood is they'll respond. I'm fine. Thanks too. So I I try and actually answer um, and and truly listen. But um, yeah, like the the work that people at Hask are doing in that we've got these very, um, I don't really like the term, but it is alpha, isn't it? Really? There is another one. If, If these alpha men are talking about it, um and saying listen like i have bad days and it's not all just because i've got the bravado and i might look really tough and strong doesn't mean i don't have a bad day and allowing all of us like everyone allowing that to be the norm now Mm -hmm. like it's not it's not weak it's not bad it doesn't mean that you're in a like a really dark place if you have a bad day yeah it just means you're having a bad day so just rewiring all of us changing that perception and if someone says when they are, when you ask them, how are you? And you, and, and you say not like when you hear, and they say, I'm not great. Then you allow them and you don't judge them. You don't take the piss. You don't like judge them for, for, 
like being a downer or anything else. You appreciate them for being honest. Yeah. Um, and allow that space. Um, just, it's just, it really is a shifting of, of perception. So the other, the other thing, the hard part as well with, with men is that sometimes if we ask, you know, how are you really like, you know, it can be quite insinuating mm -hmm. and it's almost like, I think you're struggling and, and it can almost be patronizing. Kind yeah. of, it's almost like, I think you're struggling. And so, and I, and I totally hear that. So the other part to it, I think is sometimes just, um, if you do think someone is, is struggling, you know, like there were, were with, you know, Haskell Dozer and Tom May all talked about how they've now understood there were people struggling in the change room. They had no idea at the time. Yeah. But if you sense, then I, I always think now it's, you know, it's just dropping a text message or a voice note yeah. and just saying, listen, um, you didn't seem you usually sprightly self. And I, you know, I just wanted to check that everything's all right at home and family's okay. And, you know, if there's anything I could do, um, and kind of leaving it with them yeah, and not sort of putting them on the spot and then they can come back in their own way. Yeah. Um, that's a, it's a bit of a lighter way of doing it, you know? Yeah, completely. I actually had an example of that. Not relatively recently. I sent a text just like that. Having spoken to someone, um, he ignored it for a little bit, then texted me and said, uh, thanks for the message. I'll chat to you in a couple of days. So like, he just wasn't, wasn't ready to chat just then, but, but was very happy to, to chat once he'd sort of dealt with, dealt with it himself. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Don't, you don't want to overwhelm or patronize. Like, let them know you're there, but but give them the space to to work it out themselves as well. I think that's a really good point. That's it. That's it. And knowing that everyone has a bad day. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like it's 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 normal life. Just because you're big and strong and tough, and you don't feel too much pain on the pitch, doesn't or you don't show it doesn't yeah. mean that you can't have a bad day. Yeah. Do you do you think that I mean I mean I actually get annoyed when I, when everything gets blamed on social media, but do you think that social media sort of exaggerates the issue here? Because obviously lots of people are sort of living their best life and posting only what they want people to see on social media. Do you think that plays a part as well? Because that's sort of adding to that, adding adding fuel to the fire of trying to, to put out an image of just that you're great and that life's great all the time. Yeah, totally. I, I read somewhere, or it was really succinctly put, someone said... Um, we compare our, our normal lives to everyone else's highlight reel. Yeah. You know, in that we know our truth of how we're living. Um, and yet we're comparing that to everyone else's best bits yeah. that they are sharing. And yeah. They're looking at our life thinking, God, I know that these highlights that I've shown aren't my truth, but look at their highlights. They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 you know, it's just a trick of the brain. Um, yeah. The reality is that we've got to understand that, you know, we, people generally don't put their bad bits up yeah. and yet, we all have them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it does totally. Yeah. It does accentuate. I, I totally hear you. C comparison is the thief of joy is a, is a quote I like, like, yeah, just stop, just stop comparing, just li live your own life and do what you can in yours. Yeah. So then it's so important. And then, so like, obviously we're, we're a rugby podcast. You've, you've got a rugby series going on at the moment. So it'd be uh, silly to not, not go in more specifically there. We both played, a bit of rugby you played a bit more than I did I'm, I'm actually more more of a hockey player which might annoy some of the audience but hey ho um but yeah we've both played a bit of rugby both played amateur sport both been in that environment where you know but like, like as you said earlier the changing room banter is actually it's a huge part of the of the sport and for me especially now I'm playing a bit less now I actually do more coaching now and that's the bit I miss like I don't miss playing really I miss being in the changing room before and after having a bit of crack, you know, having a bit of banter, getting stuck into someone 
like they are the fun bits of the sport and it's the things that you remember when you know when someone's rocked up with a with a shit haircut or whatever you you remember that and you remember the banter but so I, i'm sure you're not saying that we you know we need to take away banter from sport but how how do we and how do people within the game make sure that you know that we're on the right line and that, that it doesn't go too far yeah, it is a really, it's a fine line, isn't it? And and Dozza really goes into this and in the, in the podcast and that it was such a, it was, it was such a beautiful part of the game for him, particularly. And um, well, Anna Haskin and Tom, all of them, you mm. know, they all love it. And there's there's a bit of pain for them now, looking back, in that what they thought was fun, some people weren't finding fun. Yeah, you know, some people were struggling. Yeah, because um, they genuinely did just find it fun. And everyone is different, and everyone's got different boundaries. Everyone's got different levels. Um, uh, and it's important. It's all part of camaraderie and team and team ethic. But it's just knowing, um, knowing the individuals. Perhaps you know, starting from a place of building trust. You know, of 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 of, of trusting each other, so that you can build that rapport to actually then, you know, drop in a little a, yeah. a bit of banter that yeah. may, maybe takes takes the piss a bit because yeah. you know that you're both coming from a good place now. You've learned that. You've built that trust. You've built that communication. Um, I think there is a a, a um, uh, an ethic of of trying to be the, the the kind of dominant figure. You know, you want to be you want to be the leader, and that perhaps sometimes can be like you don't welcome people in. You know, mm-hmm. you want to be aloof. You want to be tough. You, you don't want to be sort of bending your back to welcome people in. Um, and it's flipping that. Yeah. And it's saying, hey, listen, we can have. I can be really strong. I can be really tough. But I can also be really welcoming to my to my teammates and really embracing you and you're on my team and, and we're in this together. We might take the piss, but you know we're in this yeah. a lot. We're a team. And I always think of like the the, um, uh, the South Sea Islanders yeah. um, as a as a as a comparable on this. And that you know you watch them play. If you've never met them, you see them on the pitch and you think, you know, geez, these guys are going to be crazy. Yeah. You know, they're they're, yeah. they're absolute animals on terrifying. the pitch. And it's yeah. Terrifying. And then they come off and they're laughing and choking and they're sort of poking each other and they're yeah. kind of full of love for each other and yeah. they're, you know, and they'll hug and they'll pray and they're they're so touching to each to one another, and it's like they are more of the spectrum mm-hmm. than 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 we see in, in the Western culture where yeah. we like to pigeonhole ourselves. It's like I'm 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 going to be I'm the tough guy and I'm hard on the pitch. I'm going to carry that role with me at all times, and I have to be that. So I'm not going to be welcoming and nice to you even though you're on my team because i need to play up to this role at all times i think it's let's letting go of that and it's saying listen we're human beings we all have emotions mm-hmm. we all have different parts to us um uh like like carl jung a philosopher talks about the the the, the, the um, archetypes of masculinity he talks mm-hmm. about there's four parts of us there's the warrior that is strong and tough and takes action and is brave and courageous and makes things happen then there's the the lover that is soft and loving and kind and gentle. And then we've got the magician that's creative and, and magical. And then the king who, who can use all of those facets at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as the Western culture, we've just gone all in on the warrior. Yeah. yeah. And, and that can be tough sometimes. So it's like managing your archetypes is saying, now is, I'm on the pitch. Now is the time to be a warrior. I'm off the pitch. Perhaps, you know, as captain, I'm going to be the lover. I'm going to yeah. put my arm around teammates saying, are you feeling part of this team? Like, you know, are you okay? And then, you know, the magician perhaps in training who can is coming up, educating, making new things happen and just exploring all of who we can be as a, mm. as a man, not just going all in on this warrior instinct that says I've got to be tough and yeah. hard and make yeah. stuff happen all the time. Yeah. 
and and actually you know part like you said there part of being the warrior is is being brave but there's a you know there's a there's a real bravery in being authentic and being vulnerable and letting people see your weakness and letting people see your your sort of soft sides there's a there's i think like for me that's in the world as it is at the moment that is far more brave than pretending you're hard as nails all the time which which has alluded to as well in that he used to in some of the, the the team meetings he said like you know there were things there were areas of his game that he wanted to work on and he would sort of say to that like hey listen you know, I'm not feeling so confident in this space. Can we can we talk about that? Mm. And they would take that as weakness, yeah. not not as, as strength. In that he's now giving himself in owning that he's now giving himself the ability to grow and to become better in that space. Not weak because he knows he's got limitations. Mm. Everyone's got limitations. Do you want to paper over them, ignore them, and not work on them? Do you want to be open to the fact that I'm not perfect, he's not perfect, you're not perfect, none of us are. There's room for us all to grow. So let's let's acknowledge that and say, hey. These are the areas that I want to try and work on. I'm not perfect. Can, can you help me? You know, which is not what the warrior is about. The warrior is about, nah, like I'm, I will paper over that and I'll hide that and I'll ignore it and I'll reinforce everything around it so you can't ever see that weakness in me. But you never grow in that space. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and actually I think, I think again, like what Hask has done, I, I, I'm calling him Hask now, I've never met him, but I'm going to call him Hask as you do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, what, ja- what James Haskell has done in the past and is doing I think obviously it's, it's it's very important for his own sort of psyche and mentality to to be doing it but I actually think it's it's probably more important to show others that it's okay um, and I think that's probably an, another message I'd, that's probably good to get across to others that even if you're not really really struggling even if you've just got something that's like niggling you a little bit, you sort of owning that and admitting that and talking about that might give someone else the permission to do do it with something that's way way bigger. Um, so yeah, I think that's I think it, I think it's important to to give people sorry to give people permission. Yeah, definitely, especially you know as a leader, mm. you know. And, and Dos said this like it's our responsibility as men. And I, I don't know if you heard actually. Benjamin Kayser speak on on Hask's podcast yeah. uh, this last week about um, Dominici. And yeah. He said we have a responsibility as as men to to listen and to to allow space for all of us to to acknowledge where we're at and to to be be okay to talk about our limitations. And you know we can lead. It's very hard if you know like going back to that question. It's very hard if you say how are you and I say I'm fine, thanks. How are you? It's unlikely that you're going to go um let me think about that for a minute uh this yeah actually you know naturally you'll just go into it too so yeah can we you know be the change we want to see can we start representing our own message our own truth and allowing other people that's that's bravery yeah for you sure know, risk the judgment but actually you're opening space like you say for someone else to go oh i've never heard you say that before like i i've feel a bit that too mm. um or whatever it is yeah um it's, it's our responsibility. That's how we can lead, you know? Definitely. Because I, I, I do believe, and, and, and this is showing up all the time with people like Hask having these conversations, every man, going back to the Carl Jung archetypes, every man has a lover inside of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just we're so conditioned to just be the warrior. Yeah. And it's a it's about letting go of, of this stigma of, of needing to go all in on who we think we need to be Yeah. and allowing all of us to actually be seen. That's freedom. It's, yeah you know be, really being yourself yeah so i mean I've, I've had a number of experiences now where 
like the, like the podcast with Hask and Dozer and Tom, where I know that every man has got this part of them that is um, that does feel that that is is conscientious, that that has some kind of sensitivity, that is empathetic, that is kind. But it's just we go all in on on this warrior part, and um, and that stops us being fully seen. I actually. Um, I did a, a, a like a men's. It's called a retreat, but it's not really a retreat at all. It's it's an advance actually. It's like a growth um, experience, but with a guy called Craig White, um, who's also been on my podcast a while ago, and he he's the ex strength and conditioning coach for Wales, Ireland, Wasps, Leicester, and I think he did two Lions tours. If I know he did two Lions wow. tours, so like top of his game, and then now he's kind of flipped that on on its head, and and he runs men's retreats called Men Without Masks, which um, is about allowing men to come and embrace all of these archetypes that they are all of who, who they are as a man and so often you know I, I've, I've done a few of them with him I help him on, on with, with that and you you see these men turn up who's probably their wives have sort of said look at this I really like to do it or you know one of their mates has said do it or something yeah. and they turn up arms crossed yeah. really like what the hell am I doing here yeah and they sort of first round of kind of having a, a little bit of a chat they're like yeah like to be honest, don't we know what I'm doing here? I kind of, I'm, I'm fine, you know? Uh, so sort of, yeah, next person kind of thing. And then by day five, they've, their heart has been opened up. They've, they're suddenly allowed to, to be all of who they can be through the space that's created over the five days. And, you know, they can't wait to get back to see their wife and their kids and to show them this new love that they've yeah. got inside of them. Yeah. Um, and it's always there. It's just that as men, we are taught to completely disconnect from that. Yeah. Um, so I really believe that every man has got all these aspects to them. Um, it's just whether or not they, they choose or, or they've, they've kind of forgotten how to connect with those parts of them because mm. for so many years they've pretended that that's not who they are and they need to be this. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then think, thinking about rugby, sort of a little bit wider. I mean, there's been a lot of, a lot of chat recently about sort of rugby values in general. So obviously we've had... The, they're sort of campaigning with with the Black Lives Matter stuff that's going on at the moment at, before every game. But then, you know, we ha- see the Pablo Matera incident where he gets reinstated for racist tweets. And I mean, he was, you know, he was 17, whether you think he should be or shouldn't be, whatever. But Hugo Monnier made a really good point on that, that he's not, he doesn't want Pablo Matera to be punished, but he just thinks the Argentinian rugby union should own more what he did and acknowledge it as racist rather than just, I think they called it immature or something like that. Then you've got, you know, the rainbow laces this weekend. Um, and again, there was some chat on um, BT Rugby Tonight where Craig Maxwell Key spoke really well about coming out um, I think three years ago, but more publicly last year, which is fantastic. But then they showed some stats where actually there's still homophobia in, in the game that based on a survey that they did. There are, I mean, it's it, there's no way that there's no that there are zero gay rugby players in the premiership at the moment. There's just no way that that's the case. And then when obviously you and I are talking about this mental health stuff, do you think rugby values are, do you think they live up to what they're actually written as? Or do you think they've still got a lot, a lot of work to do? I think certain, certain values, you know, fit into the rugby ethos. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they would work sort of throughout. But yeah, there's probably others that are kind of 
in theory, wanting to be welcomed, mm. like very much like has talked about, you know, with, with England, they fill out these forms. How are you yeah. basically? And him saying, I'm I'm shit. And they go get on the training pitch anyway. Yeah. And it's like, they think they've done the job in just asking the question, but yeah, has said this a lot. Actually, there's a lot of talk about all this stuff, Yeah, but actually, and you know, you can't blame the coaches that, that who, who's taught them to, mm. to deal with emotional intelligence. Who, like that, particularly in area where they came through and it was just get on with it. You know, yeah. if you've got some injuries, you, you, that's part of the game. So like, I don't think there's any blame, but I do think, yeah, there is more, there's much more space for uh, more truth and honesty, like removing of judgment, um, dropping the masks, which kind of is, is this sort of language that's coming through. Like, and really understanding that we can be gay and a good rugby player. We can be gay and a, and a good bloke. We yeah. can be re- really tough, but still really loving. Yeah. You know, we, we can be all these different parts around stigmatizing and categorizing people yeah. and making people be, go all in on these small bits of them. Yeah. Actually really giving people the freedom just to be like, Hey, like this is me and, and I'm that and I'm that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, I'm sure there is more work to be done. There's more work, yeah. you know, everywhere. But it's great that, you know, I think Hask is a brilliant figurehead with this and him talking about it and because you, he's someone you probably wouldn't expect it to come from. Mm-hmm. And it's like if it's coming from him. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, there's, there's more and more rugby players talking and I, it's, it, it will filter through, I believe. I really do. And, yeah, so um, what do you sort of see as sort of the... Is the, is the next step to make everyone involved in rugby far more aware and far more educated on the topic? Is it to get sort of specialists like yourself into into club environments to, to provide that education? Or what, 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 do you, what do you think? Yeah, it would be great. Um, so so one, of my, um, one of my mentors, Craig White, who runs this Men Without Masks, yeah. um, he, he worked with Uruguay in the World Cup. And Uruguay... Before the um, before the tournament, they did a lot of men's sharing circles where they sat around and they specifically allowed them to talk about their fears and talk about the challenges and to talk about their weaknesses collectively, you know. And they went on to have an amazing World Cup. They beat Fiji. And if you saw, I really recommend anyone watches it. That the captain of of Uruguay giving a talk, um, it, well, an interview after the game where he mm. talks about this thing within them that they were so bonded, they were so collectively, and this went beyond their skills. This was something inside of them that kept that got them through this yeah. this bond and this vulnerability this link between them all and i think that um we need more of that mm. you know we I had jim hamilton on our podcast as well who again you know this real tough guy yeah but within within five minutes of being on the podcast he was talking about how he grew up with his dad never loved him yeah and the only way that he he felt he could get validation was to impress his dad and his dad was ex-special forces and he just thought i've got to be hard as nails mm. you know all this it's like all this is going on and you know there is space for for for, for these conversations it's like jim is still just as just as tough as he ever was but he's just allowed himself a bit more freedom to be who he is and be a bit happier in himself but still run on the pitch and try and smash people yeah, yeah. and be tough, yeah. you know? And it's just, it's a healthier, happier environment. And as Saracens have showed, you know, that this, this culture, you know, happy, healthy environment uh, allows people to do their best in the workplace. Mm. So I, I do think that it's, it's important, you know, even if there's someone there 
within a club just to allow people to, to say how are you really like how are you feeling and actually listening to them without judgment yeah not going to laugh or try and fix them but just allow them to to, to talk yeah um it is, is a step in the right direction um it's happening it is starting to happen yeah um but quite where it goes i don't know yeah okay um yeah well it's i mean yeah the good thing is at the moment it's moving in the right direction so so that's it that's at least a good start. I, th- I think what you were saying there about about so that example of Uruguay, as you sort of alluded to earlier, I'm sh- I'm like absolutely sure that because they've done that work and built that trust and made it a, a safe space, they then get to have like the crack and the banter with each other because they, as you said earlier, they just they trust each other, they know each other so much better on such like a deeper level, which then gives you the space and the freedom to to have a crack at each other without without it being too offensive or, or whatever it is absolutely you've nailed it um that that's exactly it and that's a healthy environment rather than just the alphas leading and and you know putting everyone else in their place you've got a collective unity a team of different characters of different skills but who all see each other and understand that no one in that group is perfect but they're all doing their best and we'll fight and we'll try and support someone else's weaknesses through our strengths and collectively we'll come together and be a better unit. That's, that's a team. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. Amazing. So, and then, so just to sort of, to wrap up a little bit, if people out there are either want help for themselves or think that someone else wants someone else that could do with some help, either what would you suggest for them? What, how can they get in touch with you or find out more about what you do? What, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 like, I think it really, um, the, the male ego, as Hask says in the podcast, that, that the male ego is a very real and strong thing. Mm. So we, we want to be careful in, 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 in how we do speak to our mates. We don't want it to be patronizing or condescending or to sort of you know, put them on the spot because our ego will flare up and we'll get defensive very often. Mm-hmm. So can we just, in a soft way, if we think someone's struggling, can we just drop them a really inoffensive, innocuous message, but just allow them space mm-hmm. to answer sincerely? And if they try and laugh it off, it's kind of, hey, listen, like, you know, I know, you know, we love to have a laugh, but I also want you to know that, you know, I want I want you to be okay too. So, um, and everything, sometimes I've had some struggles and I'm not spoken about it. So I just want you to know that too, in case you, anything's going on for you or whatever it is, like everyone's got different ways of communicating with their friends, but really allowing that space as you said so perfectly said um and i can't remember the other part of your question uh, just, <laughs> just just asking about how uh, how people can get in touch with you or or find out more about you oh, we'll, we'll link everything down below anyway but but yeah where can people find you oh thank you yeah so my website is um benbidwell.com um and um yeah i post on instagram as, as the naked professor and, and the idea around that is, that, I, I don't know, the naked coach sounded wrong. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I talk about all this stuff all the time, vulnerability, you know, trying to find ways of, of opening up and, and, and doing so still in a masculine, in a strong way and owning that, you know, you're not perfect, but that's okay. So it was kind of all about being vulnerable and open, which the naked professor seemed to be at a time of Instagram, catchy names seems to be the right thing. I'd rather just be Ben Bidwell now, but... <laughs> <laughs> Naked professor is what it is. You're stuck so. with it. <laughs> I'm stuck with it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay, amazing. Well, as I said, all of that will be linked below. Uh, but for now, thank you so much for joining us, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we'll hope to catch up with you again soon. Um, we can't wait to listen to the other three episodes of your roundtable with James Haskell, Paul Doran-Jones and Tom May. 
episode one was brilliant. Again, that's linked below. Uh, go and have a look. And episode two is out this Thursday, Ben. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay, so every Thursday for the next few weeks. Uh, but yeah, Ben, thanks again. Take care and we will hopefully chat to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for, for bringing this conversation alive. I appreciate it. So thanks again to Ben Bidwell for joining us. As we said, episode one of his roundtable discussion about mental health and rugby is out now and linked below. So go and check that out. And I'm now delighted to be joined by my co-host, Steve Smith. Steve, how are you, buddy? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Very good. Uh, should we just jump straight into the weekend's action? I think we might as well. There's, okay. there's plenty to get through this week. There is a lot to get through. There is a lot to get through. A, a lot of rugby this weekend again, and actually some half-decent rugby this weekend as, as compared to last weekend. Uh, so as it was the final weekend of the Autumn Nations Cup, we will start there. And that kicked off on Saturday lunchtime with Georgia against Fiji. Um, the much-anticipated game, because Fiji obviously haven't been able to play just yet in the Autumn Nations Cup, so it was nice to see them finally get on the pitch. And they stormed to a 38-24 win over Georgia. Steve, did you watch this one? Yeah, managed to watch quite a lot of it. and I was very impressed, I must say, by Fiji. I think they finally got a head coach who could really take them to the next level in, in Vern Carter. Yeah, definitely. They looked... I mean, obviously, they've always been blessed with an incredible amount of talent, obviously. Um, and some of the, I mean, some of the things those guys can do on a, with a rugby ball in their hands is pretty crazy. But yeah, I completely agree. I think some actually some nice structure in place. Um, I think they also were just very excited to actually be out on a pitch, having been locked in a hotel room for for a few weeks. Um, so I mean, and again, Georgia played all right. To be fair, I thought they put up an okay fight. But there's only so much you can do when when Fiji get going, really. Yeah, Namani Nadola was in, in top form. I was wondering, we haven't really managed to see him cut loose a bit like that for Leicester so far. So is that probably a sign of things going badly at Leicester, I guess? Yes. Yeah, I think it definitely could be a sign of that. But I mean, you don't need to give the boy much space, do you? Like, Jesus Christ. He's an absolute powerhouse. And probably one of the heaviest players we saw this weekend. Yeah. You know, you got Rodrigo as well. He's a fantastic player. Yeah. Yeah, crazy good. And then just throw in like two Sova and all that as well. They're, yeah, they're, they're not too bad. Not too bad. It's, they were incredible. And I just thought I just thought their forward pack looked more formidable. Mm-hmm. as sort of just, you know, a pitch and drive at times to give those players a better base to play off. And I, I think that's what Vern Cotter really did for Scotland while he was there. You know, he took them sort of probably from one of their lowest points and made them sort of tough to beat and give them that base. And that's what ultimately allowed, you know, the likes of Hogg and Russell sort of to emerge as yeah. great players. Yeah, exactly. I think he's going to do a similar thing for Fiji. Yeah, completely. And I think you're absolutely right. If they get, if they get even like, I don't know, a half good foundation up front, then as we've said, the stuff their bats can do is just ridiculous and they, and they don't need a lot of space to create anything. So if they can get like proper solid foundations and proper front front, proper front football, then yeah, like God help whoever whoever comes up against them. Absolutely. And then what about Georgia? I, th- I mean, they went all right. As we said, like there's only so much you can do against Fiji when they're in that kind of mood. But I actually think it's been a pretty, pretty successful and positive Orphan Nations Cup for them. What, what do you think? I'd have to agree. Uh, their preparation coming into the tournament, you know, was non-existent pretty much. 
And I feel like I've seen a little bit more from them every game of the tournament. Yeah. And I think, you know, if that's a good trend to have. Because if we look at Italy, I feel like I saw less and less from them. Yeah. You know, from the end of the Six Nations where I thought they were looking, you know, quite bright, it's really just sort of been a bit more downhill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, I think it's... I don't think they're... Like, obviously, we, we've spoken about it before on here, but there's obviously always the chat about swapping Italy out for Georgia or having some kind of relegation in the Six Nations. I'm not sure Georgia have shown enough to for that just yet, but as you said, that, that sort of positive curve that they're on is really positive and I think just the more exposure they get to to playing tier one tier one countries like like they have in the in this Austin Nations Cup I think they'll just keep getting better and better they've got they've got some some proper players I think so I think that's the way it's going to go and hopefully we'll see you know some other European teams continue to build as well because Romania has always got a decent side that can put in a good shift as well yeah definitely definitely and then when we get when we get the petition signed for Toby Flood to go to Germany, mate, they'll they'll be fine too. Everyone will be signing it, man. <laughs> Matt Converzich will be Matt get Matt Converzich in the black row as well. <laughs> right, okay, it's a that's of a good team, that. Yeah, mate, you're doing all right with those two, I reckon. Against play, playing against Kazakhstan or whatever. I think they should bring me in. <laughs> Director of rugby, head of recruitment for for Germany. I'll do my best. <laughs> Mate, you're born, you're born for the role, I reckon. I think so. And then, um, and then after that, we had Ireland take on Scotland, um, and Ireland ended up Ireland ended up winning thirty one sixteen. I was really excited about this game. I thought it was going to be ge- like a genuine, like a genuinely proper, close, exciting game of rugby. And then it wasn't. And and then it wasn't like Ireland were Ireland were good, and they were they were like they were powerful and they were strong and they were physical. Scotland were just rubbish. Didn't offer anything, did they? Mate, like why 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 do we always get excited about them, and they always build themselves up, and then it comes to the crunch time and like actually they just decide to offer absolutely nothing. I like the World Cup again, where they really sort of just, you know, just fell by the wayside, didn't it? To be honest, didn't yeah. offer anything. Yeah, didn't look interesting. At least, at least at sometimes under Townsend, even if they get beat, they sort of, you know, throw it round a bit, give us a bit of entertainment. But it was just, you know, it's just a bit of a turgid game in the end. You know, Ireland were very efficient with the ball, but they made some great breaks. I thought you know, Bundyaki looks powerful. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. But Scotland, it's just because it's a Lions year, you know. They never play <laughs> well on a Lions year, and then none of them go. They're just all making sure that Hoggy's the only one that gets picked. Yeah, that's so tradition so, now. so they can have a decent tour that summer <laughs> with their with their whole team. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> And yeah, I agree about Bundyaki. I thought he looked really good. Do you reckon he's a, I think we might have mentioned him on episode one about our Lions picks, but do you reckon he's got a shout? A sort of a bit of a Tualangi like-for-like replacement? Oh yeah, I think it'll depend. I think if Tualangi's fit and ready to go, he might only take one of them. But then again, because I think they're they're fighting over the Ben Teo role of 2017 yeah. or the Jamie Roberts role of 2013, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. But they're both there's probably better. One, there's always <laughs> Yeah, probably better. <laughs> Who else would be in that role? I'm 
not sure. I, I don't think know. That, I thought Robbie, Hen- Robbie Henshaw looked good back in this Yeah, team. Yeah, agreed. I like him. Yeah, I do like him. And and then he's not... just in and out the team a bit much at the with injuries, isn't he? Like yeah. I see one game and I think I think he's incredible, and then I don't see him for three or four months. Yeah, yeah. Keith L Keith L look good, just still doing the thing. I I'm, I think he's he must be forty four now, I reckon, and he's still still doing the damn thing out there. So it's good to see. He just knows where the try line is. Yeah, yeah I know it sound it's one of those. Co- Commentator cliches, but he really is a winger who knows where the try line is. He is, he is, which is handy when you're a winger, to be fair. It is handy. And then, what about Sexton, mate? What do we think? Like, pretty assured, looked pretty good. How long? How long can he keep doing what he's doing? What do we think? I think he can keep doing what he's doing for a while yet, but the the, the decision isn't his. It's got to be Ireland's. They've got to think: Are we building a team? around him again or do we need to build a new team yeah because I think sometimes like we've seen with Wales in recent times you sort of hold on to the players that have served you well probably too long yeah and then the players who are meant to replace them come in they don't have any experience and it's like how how long can you keep going with the same thing yeah I've, I've got a similar opinion on some of the England players how long can we just keep going with the same ones again and again okay yeah okay that'll be we'll we'll, we'll get to that I like that bit of a bit of sizzle for Eventually. later on um for and sure. mate so for Scotland I actually thought I think it's like their fifth their fifth starting fly half in seven games or something stupid but I actually thought Van der Volt or Van der Walt or however you say his name I thought he looked really good yeah I liked him he had a few dodgy moments in yeah. the first 10 minutes where yeah. he couldn't hold on to the ball but he's he's got something about him he's got I some he's, he's got some proper zip on his passes like plays flat passes flat like yeah I quite like him I like him I mean, he's a good player I think he looks more of a sort of player you'd want to play maybe with Finn Russell you know yeah. like being a sort of together because I think Adam Hastings you know he can play a variety more of a variety of positions yeah. if you wanted to get him in the team yeah yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, ob- obviously, obviously, yeah, we need to get Dunk. <laughs> we need to get Dunky Weir back in, obviously. But <laughs> do you think he could be a hooker? Mate, he could do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. I'd like to see that. <laughs> if we're going to create, this should be one thing we do one week because we'll create a team of fly halves. Oh, that is actually a great shout. <laughs> that is a funny. good shout. I like that. That's fun. For another for another week, I like that topic. That's good. All right, so yeah, I mean, Ireland looked good, but probably mainly because Scotland weren't very good, I reckon. Sure. And then the last game on the Saturday in the Autumn Nations Cup was Wales against Italy. Um, Wales with a pretty resounding thirty-eight eighteen win against the Italians. Um, Similar story for Italy, really. Sort of stay in the fight, stay in the game, and then come up with absolutely nothing. It's a tradition. <laughs> you don't break tradition. <laughs> the saddest of all traditions. <laughs> Very much so. It was nice to see, you know, Falatau have a good game. Yeah. That's he, not something we've been blessed with. He was, uh, he was proper, proper good, wasn't he, to be fair. A George North try as well. You can tell it's a... Uh, Time for Christmas miracles. <laughs> Falatar's back. North scoring tries. Here we go. Is it 2012? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, Falata was um was a little bit good. And again, on the Lions chat, obviously we're still a long way off the Lions, but I mean those kinds of performances are the are the ones that are gonna get put him back into contention, aren't they? Yeah, he's got so much credit in the bank already with Gatland as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think I think I think I might have mentioned it last week, but or maybe the week before. But what I love about him, which is not not particularly my point, so I can't steal it, but what I love about him is the footwork he does just before contact, which just means he just always yeah. makes more yards than he should do. And it's something that someone like a Billy lacks. Like Billy just is all power and just tries to melt people, which sometimes works really well. But I think people have definitely figured out Billy a little bit more and he's probably now offering a bit more in defence than he does in attack, whereas Falatao's Falatao's footwork and his the sort of nuances of his game are probably a little bit a little bit better, I reckon. I think so. I, th- I can't argue with anything you said there. And then, yeah. So, Italy. Italy, Italy, Italy. Again, again they like they do some quite nice things. They play some more right stuff. But they just I don't know what it is. Why can't they why can't they keep going for longer than 60 minutes? Is it fitness? Is it psychological? Is it just they run out of steam? Like, what, what do you think it is? Um, I think they, they do run out of steam. I think it is psychological as well. I feel like they feel like it's coming. Like, yeah. the, the tries are coming. Yeah. I think this tournament, they've especially, you know, been missing Jake Pelletri. It's like they've swapped relying on one number for another. You know, that's very yeah. Italian. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, that, I, I ran out of things to say. I think like uh, they needed they need someone to really just get their pack back in order. I think I think that's where they end up losing games at the minute. I think they need you know Vern Carter would have been perfect for Italy as well. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, he would have been. He literally took a Scotland team that you know couldn't scrummage and turned them into a one of the best scrummaging sides in the world a few years back. Yeah. Yeah, they've definitely uh they've definitely still got still got work to do and again with the Six Nations not far away really, just a just a couple of months away again. I just don't I just don't know what to expect really. I can't I can't see them offering loads there again, really. Um I mean that like their trusty wooden spoon partners Scotland are, are just nowhere nowhere near wooden spoon contenders now, really. So they're they just gotta hope either Scotland go terribly or or Wales get or Wales continue like a bit of a decline in form because otherwise they're just looking at five defeats, aren't they? That fifth spot's gonna be the most hotly contested spot this <laughs> yeah. year, I think. Because yeah. between Scotland, Ireland and Wales, nobody's going particularly great. No, that is very that is very true. Knowing France, France will finish there after <laughs> all, of, all of this. Imagine. <laughs> that would be very, very French. But I don't think this France team are very French, to be honest. But but that would be very French. Mate, my my um my highlight of the of the Wales Italy game was Luke Pierce. Yeah, what a job! What a job he did! Just like no nonsense at scrum time, no nonsense with the caterpillar rucks and the five seconds and all that. He, I think he was just a bit cold because he wanted to get inside, but he just didn't have didn't have any patience for any time wasting, did he? He's. You know, he's been one of the best referees in the Premiership for years. Yeah. I think now, look. And I think I think he's going to be one of the next superstar reps moving forward, I think. Agreed. You know, we're going to need new ones because I think, you know, Wayne and Nigel Owens are coming to the end of their tenures on the international scene. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. I think I think sometimes he's I wish. Sorry, mate. Go. On. I was going to say sometimes I wish Nigel would just stay on his TMO just so we can hear that voice. So <laughs> just often. to hear that voice. Yeah. Or yeah. or he should just or be on the side for like studio. discipline. <laughs> yeah, though they could have him in the studio, you know, talking through decisions. That would be quite cool. Somehow. That would be that would be interesting. They do it football already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. Just just so he stays in our lives for a little bit longer. Yeah, I hope that's what I want. <laughs> right, and then we had the big one on on Sunday afternoon, the final of the of the Autumn Nations Cup between England and France. All the chat pre-game was how much. Again, are England going to win by? Because France were playing their like B or maybe even C team. But mate, France showed up with, with their B or C team, and to, for a long time in that game, did a bit of a job. I'm not going to lie; I was never really on on the bus with us to go and smash them because we've not really looked like smashing anybody. I know no. we smashed Georgia, but the game didn't feel like a. We can't run through people. We just can't run through and score tries at the moment it was a weird game and they were the, I thought they were the better side obviously we would have won if Farrell you know knew where the posts were yes yeah. but I don't know it's just, it was so as good of a game as it was because they came and really you know put in a wonderful performance it was still a bit what are we trying to do <laughs> with England massively it was just massively. the same again yeah, I, th- I thought it was, and a lo- like you said, a lot a lot of it would have been overlooked if Farrell had his kicking boots on because we'd have won, we'd have won by whatever it was, six six or nine points, and would have walked away. But some of the like lack of, um, I don't even know, lack lack of thought process, lack of decision making when we had the ball was just ridiculous. Like we just ha- we just had like people kicking not particularly well. Or when we passed it, like when we went a few phases and actually looked to pass it out wide, no one looked like they knew what they were doing. Like Slade, Slade showed like a little bit of like, I don't know, a little bit of go forward and tried to like step in a few times and actually carry the ball pretty hard. But I don't, I don't know what was going on. It just looked like we had no idea what to do other than kick the ball and chase it. Yeah, like even like as a rugby purist, you you don't want to be saying that. No, like I don't think no. I don't know who wants to see that. I just thought it was dull, and and I just can't. I couldn't suggest to like one of my friends who isn't a rugby fan, I'll oh, watch this game, <laughs> see what rugby's all yeah. about. Yeah, even Johnny May was kicking the ball, which is which that is when you know it's gone. It's gone badly. It's criminal. Yeah, yeah. Run, Johnny. Just run. You spend all week getting in your ice chamber, doing your sprints, <laughs> getting your massage. You finally get the ball and he just booted it. But but even when he didn't do that, he just carried like without really like looking there was like looking like there was a plan or knowing what what to do. It yeah, it was it was not very enjoyable to watch. But I mean made made a lot more exciting and a lot better by getting that try at the end and going to extra time and then foul hitting the post and and all of that jazz. So, it, I mean, it ended up being quite an exciting game. But when you think back and you actually watch, look, think about the rugby that was played, you're like, Jesus Christ, that was dull. Yeah, for sure. I was, You know it's getting quite bad when you sat there and you think, oh, I wish Mike Brown was playing. <laughs> at, least he, at least he would always, you know, run it back hard and try and carry. Yeah. 
Like you, you know you're hitting rock ball. Because like, I, I used to like Mike Brown to be fair, and I'm, I still think he's a good player. But yeah, this this team should be better. Yeah, I shouldn't be needing that. A hundred percent. So our our backline was Youngs and Ford. Fine, whatever. And then Farrell, Slade, Watson, Daly, May, and all we're asking them to do for ninety five percent of that game is kick chase. It baffles me. And we weren't even competing in the air. We were letting them catch it and then smashing them and then all getting hyped because we smashed them. And it's like, well, yeah, great, but like, what? why don't we actually try and do something? Well, the, the thing I don't get about all this is, you know, Eddie Jones is saying, oh, we're going to only work on our defence and then, we'll, you know, we'll do the attack next year. I clearly remember him saying when the Six Nations <laughs> came back that they were looking to put smiles on faces. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's managed to put any smiles on faces in the last few weeks. Nah, I'm not so sure. And I would have rather have seen us play a reserve team and just let them cut loose against France's reserve team. Yeah. Like a Saxons game, then just play them lot and just play that same way again. But that's the interesting thing for me. And I know you I know you mentioned earlier about some players that you you might want to just like can off, but the players that I thought were the most exciting were the players that have spent the least time in an, in an England camp. So I thought Malins, Earl and Robson, when they all came on, looked exciting, looked lively. And I was like, oh, hello, now, we're actually got, now we've actually got something. And they're the boys that have spent the least time in the camp. So I do worry a little think- bit that we're just, I don't know. I'm, I, I do back Eddie. I do back him. I do think he's got a grand plan, but it is a bit dull at the moment. Yeah, you, you can't, but the thing is, you look at Eddie's results, and yeah. it's a results business. Yeah. But. But is it a results business? Is it a results business? Yes, exactly. Like if people if, aren't, in, if you're yeah. winning and people are just like, "That was rubbish," I'm not that interested. Yeah. I'd say his, I'd say yeah. his I'd say his job is a results based job, but I don't think it is a results business. I'd, like, if people aren't enjoying watching it, then there is no business, and he's got no job. That's some great philosophy there. Mate, we're getting, we're getting deep. We got, we got deep with Ben earlier and we're getting deep now in the rugby bit as well. So something's going on. We're just opening up, huh? Opening up. So you mentioned but earlier, yeah. there's some players that you think, we. how long are we going to keep going with them? Talk to me. What are you thinking? It, you, the problem is you just can't, really make a good argument case. Well, you can make a good case of why they shouldn't be in the team. But it then just doesn't make sense because they've been in the team for so long and won so much. <laughs> like, if you look at Farrell's form in the last yeah. two games, yeah. he's missed eight tackles. <laughs> it, you can miss tackles when you're playing fly half because you've always got a flank in yeah, that's a really to good cover point. it. Yeah. But when you're in a centre channel, people run past you, they're going to score a try or they're going to get serious yards yeah and if you look at missed tackle stats the most someone usually makes in a game is two yeah and he, he's missing four a game mm. and I think he only made one successful tackle so <laughs> one or two so he's missing far more so if you look at him on form you wouldn't be in the team no I, I do like George Ford He's not kicking the goals and he hasn't really created much in the last two games at all. No. Nope. So what what is he bringing in there? And but the problem is like you say it's hard to 
blame most of the players. Because when Johnny May's kicking the ball, they're obviously <laughs> being told to do this. So if you call up, you know, if they go and call up Joe Simmons or Ollie Foley gets in the team, they're just going to they're just going to be it. doing the exact yeah. same thing. Yeah. So it's hard to make the argument to take them out because yeah. the same thing's just going to happen. I'd the, agree. The pack, to be honest, doing all right. But I'd, I'd to be honest, I'd, I'd probably throw like he's such a good player, but I'd throw I'd throw Daly in that mix as well. Like, yeah, it's great to have such a big boot, and he, he actually did like two or three very nice like tactical cl- kicks. But when he gets the nice ball, he just back at fullback ahead of the Lions. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just on the ball, he just skips away a little bit. I mean, I haven't seen him make a sort of trademark trademark outside break for quite a long time. No. Yeah, I, I don't thought know. Watson. I, I saw one moment where I was like, "Oh, Watson did some footwork," and it was like one. Two second moment in a, you know, I remember, two hours of watching uh, yeah, rugby. Yeah, I know exactly the moment you're thinking. I was like, I remember, I remember thinking, oh look, he's, offload. oh he's just going to kick it. Oh no, he didn't actually. He actually tried. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a frustrating one, but yeah, it it, it is tricky to argue too much when they keep winning. But it would be nice to see something a bit different. I mean, hopefully, hopefully Eddie's like absolutely right, and he's just nailing these parts of the game for now, and then. In the Six Nations, they'll add another layer on, and then when we get round to the World Cup in a couple of years' time, then then we'll win the World Cup playing the best rugby in the world. Then that'll be fine. But at the moment, the it's just frustrating. Eddie, the, yeah, the problem is with Eddie is we did go through you know a losing period, yeah, and it was still just the same players then. Yeah, so you know he is just going to trust in these players. He's going to trust in the system. And I just feel like we need to see a summer tour where these players go with England but we're not going to get that next year because mm. I think that's when you can get if it's not all working you can really start to get a good being and that can make some changes Yeah, I just don't know has there ever been an England team which is so settled yet so average uninspiring <laughs> yeah oh, well they're know. not average they are, no they are good, good yeah. What yeah. Doing, but yeah. it's uninspiring yeah like, yeah it's it, I don't know. I just, I just think it's like I said earlier. I think it speaks volumes that I was most like most excited about the players that haven't that aren't settled in that team. Malin, Malin's Earl and Cowan Dickey and Robson. I know Cowan Dickey's been about. Earl's a, a live wire. Mate, uh, he's a he's a spec- and Malin's looks so fast. Like he got chopped down by Makalu a couple of times, but only because Makalu's so fast. But Malin's looks so good on counter and just way more exciting than than Daly looks. I think one thing just to say is that we could go over some of the refereeing decisions towards the end of the game, but <laughs> you can just look at them yourself. Mate, we're, <laughs> just, mate, we're English fans. We, just, we don't need to mention them. True. But as an England fan, how did you feel when Farrell kicked that winning kick? Were you oh, getting the beers God. out or were you just like, oh, no. well, that's nice? I was like, yeah, I think I, I think I was like, oh, that's nice. And then, and then turned it off pretty quickly, to be honest, yeah. It felt like, you know, sometimes as a sport fan where you you want to see change and sometimes change only comes through, a, you know, maybe a defeat. Yeah. Well, yeah. now it feels, oh, we've got that narrow win, so it's just going to be the same again. Same again. But do, do, you think that, do you think that sort of feeling of underwhelmingness, if that's a word, does that stem from this competition? Like, would we be more excited with that win if this was 
I mean, it wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I don't know what the the situation is when it goes to to golden point in the Six you Nations. Right. But but if that kick was for a Six Nations Grand Slam, would we be that I think bothered? The integrity. I think the integrity of the whole competition was sort of ruined by France not being able to play yeah. a starting team. Yeah. Because I think, like you say, if we have that exact same performance against the first choice France team and win it in the way we did, we might not be having this conversation, yeah. to be fair, in this yeah. in this sort of tone. Yeah. But yeah, I think, agreed. like you say, everyone was bigging us up to beat them easy. And that's a, they're, they're top they're top, top 14 players, so they were never going to get knocked down easily, I no, don't think. No. Especially with... And I think their systems are relatively simple. Like, yeah. I don't think... Because I'd say come, that might be a problem with the England team, is everything seems to be really complicated. Like, if we get a kick in a certain section of the field, it'd be Daly taking it. Mm-hmm. If we get a kick in another certain section of the field, it's Slade taking it. Yeah. And another one, it's Farrell taking <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's all... Systems. Yeah, very it's very chess like, like I've I've said before, where Eddie Jones has got the pieces he's playing with, and if you don't fit in, if you're not the same piece as the one he's got, you're not going to get into his system. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think he needs to call up Lufa Burrell, man. Hey, get him back in. Get him back in. He looked good again. He did look good again. Yeah. So did Toby Flood. Toby Flood for the return. <laughs> Imagine if Flood and Burrell get both got called up. Flood's no, playing for Germany, mate. I've told you. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it's. I mean, a lot of chat on England there, and naturally so, as we are, we are England fans. But definitely a huge shout out should go to that France squad. They were, they really showed up. No one gave them a hope in hell, and they just. I mean, their defence, especially like that that patch of like eight minutes or whatever it was, where they were camped on their line and just defending, 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 and then they forced that knock on. Just huge, like. I know Sean Edward gets a lot of praise and rightly so for, for things like that, but I was really impressed with him. It, it was, I'd much rather have a game like that than England just strolling to sort of a 20 points to five win. So The thing is with England fans, we're, quite no, we're known as being, quite often being bad winners, but I thought this week there was a lot of respect and a lot of everyone online was more talking about how good France was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and rightly so. Yeah. so that, that was a nice thing. Yeah. Right, so Autumn Nations Cup sort of round up then. What do you think? Are you are you excited for the potential of this competition coming back? Do you think it was a good for a one-off? What do you reckon? I think if you had time in a schedule, it's a nice idea. Yeah. But because we'll probably get the normal, hopefully things that, you know, be back to normality. Yeah. I think I'll probably end up in the bin, Matt. Yeah. I think I probably agree with you, which I, which I, I don't think... A hugely bad thing. I think it was enjoyable for what it was this year, and then we can, yeah. We, we, I'm just not England sure can be the eternal champions. Because how do you decide who's going to be in it every year? Is it just going to end up being like a World Cup? You know, it could just get a bit too. Yeah. You're going to have to have qualifying because if because realistically, with the time slot, you could probably only have a maximum of eight teams. Mm-hmm. You bring all the Southern Hemisphere teams back into that. You know who's going to be able to play in it? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I, the the only thing I think the the best argument for it is that it's given a team like Georgia some great exposure. Um, so yeah. it would be a shame to lose that in the future. But I think I think the powers that be have just got to work out a better way to keep exposing tier two nations to tier one nations. I think. I think so as well, and I think I don't know. I I've always thought 
it would be quite exciting to see the team that finished with bottom of the Six Nations face the team who comes top of the the tier two European yeah. competition. I always thought that would be a really exciting game. Do you think the reason it won't happen is because people like Scotland and Wales will fear ever having to play in that game? Yeah, correct. Because if you look at the history books, everyone apart from England would have had to play in that game since I mean two thousand. Yeah. Do you think, would you like to see that game as a relegation promotion game or just as like a bit of an exhibition? I think the relegation promotion will make it more exciting. Yeah. But an exhibition, you know, if, if that's if that's all we get, that's all we get. But at yeah. least that would be something for Georgia or Romania or Spain. Because, you know, I know Georgia are the kings of that, but they don't win it every year. Sometimes they get, you know, knocked about a yeah. bit and upset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, then. Well, we will see what happens with that as next year and as the months go on. Um, but let's jump into a bit of a bit of Gallagher Premiership action. Another another busy weekend of Prem action, and it's some some more cracking games. To be fair, we've been underwhelmed by some of the international stuff, but the points keep keep racking up in the Prem. It's kind of sad that we've had to have more focus on the Autumn Nations Cup when the Premiership has been so good because sometimes yeah. the Premiership isn't always amazing but I think it's been I think it's been a terrific start of the season Agreed completely agree and hope, hopefully when all the international players come back they won't be too boring and just kick the ball and we'll still play some rugby hopefully And they're all at Saracen so it's fine Yeah that's true they don't have to play anything that's very true um, So Friday night we had Bristol take on Northampton Saints um, and it was a pretty good game Saints 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 were 14-5 up, but Bristol came back and won 18-17 with the last kick of the game. Um, did you watch this one, mate? Much to say on it? or? Uh, I've seen that. I've only seen the highlights, but Saints are just having nothing good their way this season. No, no. They're blessed, blessed them. They're struggling a bit, aren't they? The bottom of the league's going to be very tight this year. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's plenty of teams that you could, you could argue will be down people. there. Um, but no, me too. Sure. I, I watched a, I watched a bit of it. Um, my sort of standouts were quite like Tiff Eden at ten for Bristol. Thought he looked pretty tidy, um, and some serious bottle from Bedlow when he came on to to take that final kick. So so good lad for for nailing that kick at the end. But yeah, not loads on that for me. Nope. And Just then Bristol uh, Bristol and the Pat Lamb have become a side that just. They can edge out the big wins, I think, when they yeah. need them during the season. Yeah, they've, they've got bottle. Now, I, I think they're they're a year or two away, like maximum, of being like right up there with Chiefs. I think. I think they're I think they're building something very very special. I think so because it's not even just the first team. Yeah, you, sometimes you just get introduced to their new players and they come in and they they are well coached. They know exactly what they do, but they do have a bit of flair to them as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and and I mean like that's a good win, and then you can just and then you still throw back in Charles Pietau. He's injured at the moment. He'll be back in. Semi Randrandra will be back from international duty. Sinclair, Earl, and Malins all come back from England. Sheedy comes back from Wales. Owen Yoan Lloyd comes back from Wales. Like they've been hit. They've been hit a little bit by the international um, by the Autumn Nations Cup. So putting all those players back in, yeah, they'll they'll go okay. I think. I think so. And then on Saturday, we had three games uh, in the Gallagher Premiership. We had Chiefs uh, taking on Tigers, uh, Wasps taking on Newcastle, which I, if I'm guessing will probably be where our focus is, and Worcester taking on Bath. Uh, so we'll do the other two games first, mate. We'll just fl- fly over them. 
Leicester 13, extra Chiefs 35. Chiefs just dismantled Leicester again. Um, I mean... The, Simmons on the score sheet. And of course he was. Of course he was. But yeah, I mean, I just don't know. We said it last week. We're running out of ways to describe them. They were 13-7 down at half time, And then won the second half 28 nil. Um I just yeah. We don't need we don't need to spend too much time on them, I don't think. They're, they're very no, good. Just, they're very, just very on the other good. side. Just on the other side, I think with Leicester, there's always seems to be one step forward, two steps yeah. back with them. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what's really going wrong. I think they just they just need a bit more of a good core strength to their pack. It just needs and they just always seem to have four or five injuries in mm-hmm. key positions all players away like you said yeah yeah I, I agree but I, I just think I think this season especially I think we could I mean as we've sort of seen from from Harlequins I just think judging people based on their result against Chiefs is almost a bit irrelevant um, yeah you're right there to be fair they're just Harlequins too good fans. yeah they're Harlequins ju- looked very good exactly exactly so I, I just think they're too good um uh, yeah, Bath Bath stormed to a pretty resounding 33-17 victory over Worcester Warriors um, at six ways. Uh, Worcester came back into it at the end with two late tries, but was too little too late, really. Bath, Bath looked decent, uh, but Worcester, unfortunately, not very good. Do you see much of that? Yeah, I think I think Bath had, had a real struggle at the start of the season. They needed, they needed this performance probably more than anyone, I yeah. think, this weekend. They were well up for it, weren't they? You know, I, I, wasn't, impre- I wasn't that inspired by Worcester. I do worry for them this season. Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll they're always they're always in the mix, and it it looks like they probably will be again this year. Unfortunately, well, I, f- I feel like I feel like they, a bit like Newcastle, can have a season where they'll finish quite high, mm-hmm. but you always know it doesn't mean anything the next season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that can be the problem. You lure yourself into a false sense of security because this is probably. I don't know if it is, but this feels like probably their longest endless stint in the Premiership without going down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might, it might well be. That's not a bad shout. I feel like I feel like they're usually a bit of a yo-yo club, but it's been quite a few. Newcastle and London Irish have done the last few yeah, trades. Yeah, yeah. I think I think what they do have going for. I think they've got two very good tents. They've got Dunkey Weir who starts, and then Billy Sale who who comes on. And I think both of those are very, very good players. So if they can sort of stay in the fight a little bit, maybe have a bit more parity up front and then give as much ball to Dunkey Weir and Billy Searle as possible to, to get their backs going. I think they've got some nice players. So they, they've got a chance. They just need to try and stay in the fight a bit more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. And then the big one on Saturday, mate. We'll come to it again. I mean, I'm looking forward to the week when they lose so we don't have to talk about them quite as much. But... Mate, the, the Falcons just keep point. they just keep rolling on, mate. We can't not talk about it. Newcastle away at Wasps, twenty seven seventeen win. Hell of a game for the boys. They just keep going. Yeah, both wingers on the on the score sheet as well. It was, a, it was another wonderful performance. I thought, you know, four players nominated for Player of the Month. I've, I've tried my best of up for Gary Graham, but you know, I think Sam Simmons may edge it. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to create a few more accounts. I think <laughs> get a few more votes. In. Gary Graham fan one. Gary Graham fan two. Yeah. Well. But yeah, I think I think we just look very compact. The pack is standing up to anyone who comes against it, mm. and the back line was wonderful again. I think the midfield is solid. Not the most. 
you know, we're not going to be throwing a few ridiculous offloads, but they, they're more solid and then our wingers are more our flair. Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing to point out, I think picking the same team three games in a row in the Premiership is nearly unprecedented in the last few years. Very, very Everyone's rare. always yeah. chopping and changing. I think that's really helped us. Definitely. I think that has. It's just consistency. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Makes it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I thought you guys you guys look good. Um I thought Wasps actually looked oh, looked all right. Like they they I mean, a dog try was absolutely delightful. The little cross kick from Gopperth and then the like one one two for, between Kibberigi and Odogru. And then holy wheels from a Odogru to go and finish. He looks so fast. Um It's one of them where you've just gotta say, Well, <laughs> couldn't stop that. Yeah, one. it's like well that's rugby guys. Well done. <laughs> well done. Yeah, it was um, nice to see uh, Radwan get a, get a try for us. I think he's a really exciting player. Yeah, they didn't even get near him for his try. Yeah, you've you've uh, but you've got a five on him for the Lions, haven't you? I do at a uh, hundred to one. Hundred to one, mate. The absolute scenes if if he gets on that tour. <laughs> I don't think he can kick, so he's not going to get in the England team. So <laughs> that's maybe an issue. Yeah, that is a shame. That is a shame. Man, I tell you what I did really enjoy as well. It's a, it's again it's another it's another wasps thing, but Ogray who came on at hooker for wasps. Oh, mate, he's a wonderful player. Oh, mate, some absolutely delightful touches. Not the best, not the best thrower just yet, but he can work on that. But he did one cr- crossfield into the back row, don't they? Oh, mate, he did one crossfield grubber kick, and then one absolutely disgusting out the back offload. He was just having oh, the, he was just having the time of his life out there. But yeah, shame he can't throw. But hey ho, they need to move him or Barbary. One of them needs to change position so they can have both in the same team. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know they both played back row at some point towards the end of the last season. Yeah. So Bar- Barbary, don't know, do Barbary you move one of them is terrifying. He just carries so hard. I just he's just one of those players who doesn't matter what teams do, they just can't stop him. No. Just run straight through them. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. But that was one of the things when he got called up for England last week. I was hoping we might see, you know, someone new. Like you say, like we were always craving to see people like Ben Earl play a bit yeah. more. Yeah. Rather than always getting the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice, but not in the plans I'm just yet. For, I'm looking forward to, you know, when England have one of those games and none of the main players are in the squad and they just turn up like, in England, fifteen against barbarians. Yeah, it's just a, bun- a bunch of randos. Games. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, I love sack. I like sack. I miss the Saxons. I would love the Saxons to tour Georgia. That would be good. That would be really fun. That would be fun. But they'd just be they'd just be the chat, and and understandably they'd just be the chat about player welfare, wouldn't they? Just adding fixtures on for people. But yeah, it would yeah, be fun. True. It would be fun. But anyway, the Falcons. The, the Falcons rumble on. Basically, and they are they're they're going well. That they're not lucky wins. They're looking very solid, playing some very good rugby, and like you said, very abrasive forwards, which is a a good foundation for them. So may the charge to the title continue. Can I ask what, what's your opinion on European rugby? Would you rather have a reduced European schedule and a bigger Premiership? Because I've always much preferred going to Premiership games. I'm never that fussed about European games I Good rather question. I had more Falcons home games to go to I think it's, it's a good question and I think 
probably I'm a bit of a funny one to answer it because I don't I don't really have a specific yeah. team that I follow. Um, like I've got sort of, like I live in Worcester, so I sort of follow them. I went to uni in Exeter, so I sort of follow them. I spend half my time in Bristol, so I sort of follow them. But I don't really have a team that I support. So I quite like Europe because it means I get to see the best teams in England playing against the best teams in Europe. But I completely yeah, understand sure. that as like an actual fan, going to more like good premiership home games would, would make sense. I do get that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, people always say, oh, we can't have a bigger premiership because of player welfare. And then there's all those European games and you've got that, there's a the premiership cup now. And it's like, yeah. can you not just, I used to love the, like when it was the Power Gym Cup and the finalists at Twickenham and people played their strongest team. But that just needs putting in the bin now. It's just a waste <laughs> of time. I, it's got it's got zero hype about it. Yeah, I remember I went to the final, and I'm sh- this year between Harlequins and Sale, and I'm struggling to remember the score who won. I think well, I know Sale won, but it's just not a grand occasion. No. It used to feel no. like it was an FA Cup final, and it's just been sort of demoted to this reserve team cup yeah exactly that That's, that is what it is weekends yeah the the bin juice cup until the final and then we might throw some first teamers in yeah like an FA cup would be cool I guess again it's player welfare because if you've yeah. got semi-professional rugby yeah. players against yeah Billy Vanapola <laughs> yeah you know mate he's he's a semi-pro now get, though, isn't he get them in, the, in the champ that's true <laughs> I was going to say we might have to get some players some life insurance yeah, yeah, that would be a that would be a tricky one to get to uh, get the cover for, I reckon. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's uh, that is an interesting point about Europe. I don't know, it's tricky. I I like Europe, but as I said, I think that's probably because I just watch all the rugby. I'm not too but, but, fussed but, about one team. Well, I really enjoyed the season when we won the Champions Cup because it feels a bit more, you know, prestigious. But when yeah, in the Challenge Group. Challenge Cup group stage against Newport at home on a Friday night. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it's, we, when teams are in the Challenge Cup, they're always just chopping and changing. That's ultimately why Newcastle probably got relegated that year. Is we in Europe, we'd usually just chuck out the kids. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you're in the Champions Cup, and we're playing the first teamers and that well, and, up injuries. And you were going, and you were going well in the Champions Cup as well, weren't you? Like you, you got yeah. you got off to a really good start, so therefore you were like, oh well, now we can actually commit to this, and then that that sort of scuppered you. Just injuries in the, in the prem, yeah. Yeah, I just I just wondered if it would be like a more exclusive tournament. Yeah, would which is shorter. Yeah, would generate more interest than having Europe start in like November well, and drag week. on until yeah. June. Well, you, yeah. So you you mentioned there about. Maybe extending extending the prem as well. I think that's probably like a, a relatively realistic possibility for next year, isn't it? I think. I think it's. I think lo- so. it's looking ever more likely that it's going to get ring fenced with probably Ealing and Sarries coming up and just making a 14, 14 team prem. I think so. So maybe you'll get your wish. Yeah, that would be good. I think. Yeah, I think you just need as many strong clubs as possible, and as ring fencing, you know, it. One way it goes against what I'm saying because you want exciting Premiership matches, and does ring fencing give you that? Maybe not. But at the same time, if clubs are going to invest lots of money, they want to feel safe yeah. and know that they're not going to 
invest millions of pounds and then get relegated. Just in business, you just wouldn't do it. So no. the, I guess that's why it's not been done previously, just because the positives and negatives probably sit balanced mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, anyway, sorry. We off a bit of a tangent there, everyone. I, we apologise, but good, all good chat. So Not back to... Exactly. Back to Sunday. Um, we had two two more Gallagher Prem games. London Irish took on Sale and Gloucester took on Quinns. Uh, Irish lost 13-21 to Sale at home. And Harlequins playing again some very, very, very good rugby. Won 34-24 away at Kingshope. Um, mate, not too not too much to say for me on the London Irish Sale game. I think Sale looked okay and should have won the game, but but Quinns are the standout for me, mate. They are that that loss against Exeter aside, they are looking good and playing some proper rugby. I think they've just got a good balance of experience and youth in that team, haven't they? Yeah. And Danny Kerr seems to be playing the best rugby of his life. At yeah, the mate, so good, so good. This is, yeah, you're right, Marcus. Everyone, you know, there's a lot of love for Joe Simmons, but Marcus Smith's the man for me personally. I think he's, I think he's got it all. He's so good. obviously he's, he's a bit more unpredictable. Yeah, which doesn't really go bode well for an English player. <laughs> no. The last unpredictable one we had was Cipriani, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Turns out we don't like them too much, apparently. Well, if, imagine someone you went back in time and told someone in 2007 that Cipriani would win 16 caps. <laughs> After his debut where he scored like 25 points or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I like Quinns a lot. I think, you know, they, like they've, they've got some big, some big strong units up front. Um, I, think, I think Will Evans is, is really underrated. I think he looks very good. Um, like really good over the ball, just chops people down. Uh, and then, yeah, their backs are just light, lighting things up at the moment. Nice to see Chris Ashton back on a pitch. Um, he he had a couple yeah, of nice sure. moments. Um, and then a bit of a shame about Esther Hewson's red card. I mean, pretty stupid, really. Like, very unnecessary. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether you've seen it sort of like close up, but it's not. It's yeah, not, it's not a great look. Just one of them, you know. You just can't be doing that no i i think and it's a shame actually it's a shame because he 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 gives them some proper proper go forward so it is a shame but i think like the giants yeah yeah they'll throw the ck in and he'll he'll do some do some stuff for them instead they'll be all right they'll be fine i think it'd be interesting now to maybe go back and watch that exit harlequin's game to try and work out exactly what went completely wrong i I think i i think i said on the on the podcast that i actually thought quinn's like played all right played all right to start with um i just think they just i think everyone just gets like just beaten down by by chief's brand of rugby they, like there's just nothing you can do to stop it yeah you've, yeah, basi- you've basically right. got it's to give away no penalties and try and not let them get in your half which is not very easy to do so yeah it's tricky yeah one of them but mate so a long, a long one this week um, with that chat with Ben earlier as well. So thank you for, if you're uh, if you're still listening. Should we just do a let's just have a little a very quick look ahead of uh, next week's matches. The European Champions Cup and European Challenge Cup are back next week, which is very exciting. Um, and what's your sort of what you what I mean? Obviously, the Falcons have got another Friday night game, which they're obviously going to win. Is that your pick of the games for the weekend? 
they'll be the one I'm watching. I think this weekend I'll probably take a little bit of a break from the rugby after the relentless schedule we've had. Yeah. I'll watch a little bit here and there, see what's on. But we're, it's you got to think we had those nearly two rounds of Six Nations and then the Autumn Nations Cup straight off the bat. It's been an intense time. A lot of ruggers. It'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of teams might... I think, I think, like you say, I think Newcastle will play a very different side after playing the same team three weeks in a row. Yeah, get some minutes and some other players, and I think that's always a, a good, a nice thing about it is we'll get to see some other players play who we haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I always like the start of Europe. I think it's, I think it's interesting to see how people go and what kind of teams people play. Like you say, but I think my pick is probably Bristol Claremont Saturday lunchtime. I think that's my pick. That's the one I'm going for. Oh, that's a, that'll be a good one. Yeah, it should that, be that's the one that might, might actually tempt me. And Clement always play exciting rugby. Yeah, exactly. I think it, I think it not should as recognisable as they've been. Their team isn't as recognisable as in some previous years, but you always know what you're going to get with them, and it's yeah. excitement. Yeah, for sure. But like you say, mate, a very very busy weekend of rugby. Um, so thank you for sticking with us here. I think we we might even be nearing two hours. I think in total for this episode. So thanks for sticking with us. Um, Madness. There it is. That does it for episode three of Not Another Rugby Podcast, brought to you, as always, by ruck.co.uk and Altius Images. You can find us on Twitter at ruckrugby and Instagram at ruck.co.uk. And you can visit our website, ruck.co.uk, for all of the latest rugby news and features. Remember to go and check out Ben's podcast, The Naked Professors, which is linked below. Have a great week and enjoy next weekend of plenty more rugby with the European Rugby Back in Action. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to, rate and share the podcast and we will see you next week. Bye.